0: Thank you, Johnny. God bless you, bro. All right. Good deal. Are we on? We, we are on. Well, it's good to be here at LU up on the mountain. And you guys are going through your last little bit before the semester's over. So there's all the freaky stress and junk. It reminds me of this time when I was at school in Dallas, Texas, and I heard this, yeah, man. I heard this story about this, uh, this student during, you know, this last week thing and these finals are coming, all this, you know, got this end of semester funk thing going down, right? And he walks into this uh, restaurant and he sees, you know, sitting next to him at another table is one of his professors, you know, with that love-hate relationship thing going on, you know, the guy's teaching him, but there he is, the devil, you know, he's right there. And this thug comes in and robs this restaurant, says, "Give, give me all your stuff, give me all your stuff, give me all your stuff, you know? People giving him all this stuff, and then he pops a cap, and this one dude's like, pow! This dude falls over, and he turns around, he's about to leave, and he looks at this one guy at the table, and he goes, did you see what happened? That guy goes, uh, yeah. Pow! Shot him. Then he went to another table as he was leaving, and he said, did you see what happened? He said, um, uh, yeah, I saw what Pow! Shot him. Then he looked right at that student, and he said, did you see what happened? He said, man, I didn't see a thing, man, but my prof saw all of it, man. He loves to talk. It's kind of creeping up on you, man. It's hitting you, man. I want to come this morning in our brief time together. I just want to encourage you a little bit. And I want to encourage you in an amazing verse of Scripture from God's Word. And it's in John chapter 10 and verse 10. And check out what this one verse of Scripture says that came from our Lord's lips. John chapter 10 and verse 10. He said, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, and that's a direct reference to Satan, the prince and the power of the air. He only comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but Jesus says, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I remember when I was in uh, high school, I had a friend, his name was Andy, right? And Andy was a trip, man. Andy was like, good looking. I've looked like Rocket Man my whole life, but he was like, man, Mr. Hottie Boy, good looking dude. Right? Just good-looking, man. And girls, y'all act like you don't do this, but, man, when Andy would come into the room, and he was like a mixture of Brad Pitt, you know, Ashton Kutcher, Denzel Washington, Jamie Lee Fox. you put them all together, and poof, you've got Andy. Mr. Good-looking, just good-looking. Stinking, good-looking. And and girls, you act like you don't do this, but he would walk into the room, and the girls were like, oh, you're so fine. You microwave my popcorn, Andy. I mean, you know, it was just... Kind of like that, you know. It's just fine, you know. And Andy was good looking, man. It was true. He was good looking. But how can I say this without being mean? I can't. He was stupid. There. He was just, okay, there's a nice way to put it. He just wasn't bright. Have you ever met anybody like that? Don't point at him, but have you ever met anybody like that? People are like, yeah, right there, right there. Well, that was Andy, man. You know, he just had a little too much chlorine in the gene pool. You know what I'm talking about? Had a couple of dots missing on his dice, man. He forgot to pay the brain bill. His little porch lights flickering. You know, that's Andy. You know, he was a cute toy, but the pull strings broke. You get the picture. (laughs) It was just a trip, man. So Andy, he just wouldn't talk much. You know, he'd just be quiet. and Then nobody would know. He'd just be good looking. Well, one time I'm hanging out with Andy, and we came across an accident. And there was this guy on a motorcycle and he got hit by a truck. Now later we learned that he was okay, but when we got there, he did not look good. And we come onto the scene and this doctor runs out, I'm a doctor, and this nurse comes out, I'm a nurse, you know, and then me and Andy, doom dum-doom dum. You know, we walk up. And this guy is in the middle of the road, man, and he is all twisted up, he is all pretzeled up, man. He's got a he's got an eyeball where he needs to have a toe. He's got a knee where he needs to have a nose. He's got a nose where he needs to have a, I mean, you know, he's just all pretzeled up, man. And we come to help him. And you know what he started doing? He started cussing us out, man. Squiggly line, asterisk, pound sign, exclamation point, going off. Blankety blank, blankety blank. Don't touch me. Blankety blankety blank. Don't you touch me. Blankety blank. (laughs) Well, the doctor backs up, man. The nurse backs up. Me and Andy back up. You know, he's like, don't touch me. Blankety blank. Don't touch me. Remember Andy? Pull string broke Andy? He speaks. (laughs) Not good. He looks at him, he goes, dude, you don't have to get all bent out of shape about it. (laughs) That is crazy, man. It's crazy. It's like, dude, leave the country, man. You are crazy. You know, that is a funny story, man, but can I tell you something that's not funny? It's absolutely horrific. What's not funny is the number of students that are here on this campus and the number of collegiate students around the world that just want to be happy, man. I, I, I've never met anybody that doesn't want to be happy, but they're driving down the highway of life on the motorcycle of life, only be broadsided by the mat trucks of the devil. And there are literally thousands, if not millions of students that are laying in the middle of the intersection of life, withering in a pool of their own emotional and mental and sinful spiritual blood, all bent out of shape. For the last several years, the statistics are absolutely staggering. Over 600,000 students attempted to take their life last year. That's an epidemic, man. What do you do with that? I've come to encourage you, because the thief is out to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come, and aren't we glad he did? He said, I have come, why? That you who are broken, you who are messed up, you who have all the issues, that, listen, that we might have life, and we might have it to its full. We can have abundant life. Get you some of that. That's amazing to think about. And what I've learned is, is my connectivity to that abundant life that God offers me is directly related to how connected I am to another verse of Scripture found in the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And it says this, And you will know the truth, and the truth, it will set you free. The truth will set you free. See, the truth is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, and we were singing about him. And we connect with Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, and we come to him, we admit our sins, we place our faith and trust in him, and then we have this intimate personal relationship with this person. And he will set you free. But this person teaches you principles. And when you get these principles that he teaches, you apply them to your life, and you experience that freedom as you appropriate these principles in your life. And there are a lot of them. You probably won't even get to know all of them, By the time your life is over. But there's one that I want us to just kind of lean into this morning. There's one particular thought that I want us to kind of just absorb and soak under this morning. And it's this truth. One of the most liberating truths that will set you free is the truth about you. And here it is. Listen. Get this. Get this. What's true about you and what's true about me, what's true about you is what God says about you. Man, just just soak under that a minute. What's true about you is what God says about you. That ought to be the backdrop of our lives. You see, the devil who's out to steal, kill, and destroy, he doesn't want to see that happen. Because he wants you to believe one one of his most terrorizing tactics. He's like the ultimate insurgent. And he will just jump on us. And he wants us to believe that what's true about us is what our past says about us. What some enormous mistake says about us. And he's constantly haunting us with something we've done in our past. He wants us to believe that what the present troubling situation says about us is what's true about us. The way we've blown it in a relationship, the way that we've blown it financially, the way that we've blown it maybe in our academics, the way that we've blown it into you fill in the blank? He wants us to believe that our present trouble, what it says about us, and it has a huge roaring mouth, doesn't it? He wants us to believe that what that says about us is what's true about us. And he also wants us to think that what our, our, our future says about us. And the future, really, for people who are trying to prepare for the future, doesn't have a really nice tone to it. There's this uncertainty that's woven through the voice of the future. And Satan loves to hijack the voice of the future and he wants us to believe that what's true about our future is what our past says about us. And we allow those things to become the prison bars that sabotage our lives. And we don't get to really enjoy this amazing freedom that God gives us. What's true about you is what God says about you, man. This is particularly meaningful to me because it sets me free from an incredibly painful past. I want to share just a brief moment of it. Um, My biological mother was a mentally insane homeless person, and she was a prostitute. As a result of her profession, I was conceived, and I was placed in foster care, and she was placed immediately when I was born, she was placed in a mental institution. I kind of have that effect on people. You doing okay? She was placed in a mental institution, and really that was for her good and the good of society, but I was placed in foster care for almost four years of my life, where I suffered unimaginable abuse as an orphan. I was tortured with burning cigarettes because I wouldn't perform sexual acts on these people that had me properly. They would throw me down flights of stairs because they thought it was a humorous sport to watch a baby fall down flights of stairs and pass out. They'd wager on how long it would take for me to come to. They just thought that that was humorous. The devil was stealing, killing, and destroying me, man. And as a little baby, I was being conditioned to think that what was true about me is that I was nothing more than a worthless object of some sick, twisted, perverted predator. That's horrible. But I was one month from being four years old, and Bob and Dottie Nolan adopted me. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful and very indebted. They purchased me for $200. I'm like a little Walmart special, baby. How you doing, babe? There's a, it's a whole different story involved in that and everything, man. But I, I mean, I love my mom and my dad. And I'm so grateful for them, man. But be, we grew up very, very incredibly poor, and government free lunches and all this for instance, Just we grew up in this incredibly like just redneck crazy ghetto neighborhood. In my, it was so thuggy, it was nuts. But I, somebody had a band motorcycle gang in my neighborhood. They planted a bomb. It exploded. P- body parts were everywhere. And My neighbor, I heard him get his skull crushed in one night with a concrete block and I just kind of grew up in this horrible neighborhood. It was very fearful, but more painful than all of that was my bad relationship with my dad. My dad was just kind of old school, kind of really militant. He was an angry, raging alcoholic. You know, it was a trip, man. He was like his, but he was a trip, like his dad was like a full-blooded Irishman and his mom was a full-blooded Cherokee Indian. Yeah, man, you, you tick off my dad in my home, and you're like, you know, it's like a trip. Dad's like, Aah! hey, top of, the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning, top of the morning. I'm like, dude, man, take it easy, you know. It was crazy, man, and he would and then he'd drink, and then that would just kind of double the whole craziness thing, and, and I remember my dad, man, and, he, and I, now I know, you know, that he was just very poor, and he was so stressed, and he just kind of took it out on us, and he would beat me all the time, and, just wear me out, and he would always look at me, and he'd say, you know what? Is this all $200 got me? Then he punctuated with this statement, I wish I would have never bought you. You will never amount to anything in your life. And that crushed me. I'm going to guess that you've been there. We've all desired to get the attention and the favor of someone that we've highly esteemed only to get the antithesis, complete rejection. And you know as well as I do that that has a way of tearing your heart apart, little piece by little piece by little piece. And that whole big rejection thing was just one massive catalyst that propelled me to this lifestyle, this self-sabotaging lifestyle of massive alcohol and narcotic abuse. I just began at a very early age just to consume acid and cocaine and just... Massive amounts of alcohol, just trying to get numb from the hurt. Trying to just, the devil was just stealing, killing, and destroying my life. And I was believing that what was true about me is what those perverted predators were saying about me. And what was true about me is what my dad was saying about me is that I would never amount to nothing, so you might as well live that way. And I was just imprisoned. And I thought that all of those things, you know, just kind of maybe even social drinking, but whenever I got into the social drinking, I didn't realize that liquor and alcohol is actually a viper that I probably should have just stayed majorly away from because it bit into me bad and it venom went into me and I became massively addicted to alcohol. And I would wake up in a pool of my own vomit and it just led me to just wrestle with suicide. I didn't want to live. Why live? Why live? I didn't want to live. And those were huge dark days in my life back then. I can still remember what it feels like to feel the cold steel shaft of a shotgun in the back of your throat as you try to muster up the courage to pull the trigger. I remember standing on a chair with a rope around my neck, just trying to just muster up the courage to just kind of tip over and just go, this is it, and I'll just end it all. I remember spending two weeks in a mental institution myself because of some stupid suicide stunt that I tried. Because I looked around at this world, and I was believing that what was true about me is what my past said, what my present troubling situation said, and what the future was just hurling these accusations at me and this bleak picture at me. And so I just said, why live, man? And those were dark days. But I want to just testify just here for a minute. In the midnight of my life, man, a ray of light from the Son of God broke through. And someone who was not content with just going to church decided to be the church. And then someone came to me and shared with me the message of Christianity. And I didn't like hearing what he had to say at first because he was like getting all up in my grill and my Kool-Aid about my sin. You know, he was just checking me about my lifestyle and he was saying, you're a sinner against a holy God. There's hell. There's judgment. And I thought, you know what, this is ridiculous. I had already drank a 12-pack of beer, and I'm listening to this guy, and I thought, you know what, I know that I'm messed up. I know that I'm just a big goober. And you know what, tonight's tonight. I'm pulling the trigger. Because I know I can measure up. I can never measure up with God. You don't have to convince me of that. And I'll never forget, I was getting out of that little Chevy S10 at 8210 Free Avenue in our ghetto neighborhood. And I'll never forget my stepbrother grabbing me by my arm as I was about to exit. And I was going to take my life that night. My stepbrother looked me right in the eyes. He said, hey, Tony. I don't want to ever forget that moment. He said, did you know that Jesus came, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly? I had never heard that all I saw was this big institutionalized church to these perfect people that I would never fit into and that you had to be elite to be into the God thing I had never heard about this life thing with God and I'll never forget as long as I live that God screamed in my spirit with a whisper and he said Tony if you will give my son your life my son will give you his life And on February the 24th of 1989, I don't even know what it all looked like. I didn't have it all figured it out. But I faithed it in and I just said, oh, God, I am a sinner against you. And Jesus, my life is yours. And all I can say is the Bible says, whom the Son has set free, you are free indeed. And God radically changed my life, man. Amazingly changed my life. I got saved. I got born again. I got regenerated. Whatever you want to say, I became all of a sudden, into the family of God. I became a child of God, and it was so cool because the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, if any man be in Christ, you're a new creature, all things pass away, and behold, all things become new. There's this amazing transformation supernaturally that happens in the life of a broken person when you just come to God, and that blew my mind, and there was two major changes that happened to me. Number one, I started loving the Lord. Number two, I started loving life. That was whacked out for me because I never loved the Lord. All of a sudden, I'm loving the Lord. Here's, here's what changed. I started going to church and liking it. That was different. I used to go to church when I was a little kid. Every once in a while, I hated it. I couldn't stand church, man. I'd go to church and they'd have these people up there all, you know, pump and splendor, showing off and singing their little specials in church, you know. And I'm like, what is that? You know, and every church has one, that lady who thinks she's like the Celine Dion of Christianity, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm saying? And I go to church and there's some lady up there, Ah!" and everybody out there is going, oh yeah, oh yeah, that was great, oh awesome, awesome. I'm in the back going, shut up, that was horrible, shoot her. You kidding me? You're kidding, right? And man, I hated preaching. I would listen to preachers. and I thought, what a dork. Look at him, you know. And he's up there with his Bible. And he's just like. And I'm in the back just going, oh, my goodness. I would sit in the back, man. I'd be pointing at my watch going. Yo, preacher. Let my people go. Let us go. That's all we want. Brother, when I gave my life to Jesus Christ, I'm just telling you something amazing happened. The Spirit of God took up residence in me, and where I would spend $30 on a bag of pot, I started spending $30 on a taxi one way just to get to a church. And I'd go in that church and I'd hear the singing and I would weep, man. And it wasn't because they were horrible, it was because my heart started resonating with the songs that there is a God and He's amazing and He's great and He forgives. And this world isn't it, but there's a heaven where it's going to be perfect and there's going to be no more pain. And I just weep, going, Oh my God, this is awesome. I'm standing on the pew in church going, "Whoa!" Preachers are preaching and I'm just going, Yeah! dude, that rocks. As a matter of fact, I love preaching. uh, Not that I preach, but I love to hear preachers. And if you ever get my pastor CDs or anything, you can hear somebody in the crowd going, dude, that rocks. Amen. Glory to God. You know, just go, that's me. See, I, I discovered something. Shortly after I became a Christian, I realized something. I was the The person that the church wanted to reach. I was a moral relativist. I was a secular humanist. I was just this big giant, you know, advocate for tolerance and all this. I was the God that the church wanted to reach, but when they got me, they didn't know what to do with me. They didn't, man. I mean, had people coming up to me all the time, especially like older people, and they're like, What is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? You're screaming at our preacher. During the worship, you've got your hands in the air like you just don't care what is wrong with you, man. And you know what? I tried to be nice, you know, but I'm like, you know what? It's not what's wrong with me anymore. It's what's right with me. I've got the truth. And blah, 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 blah. and the truth has set me free. I am free. You know, it was a great day when I discovered, man, that, that, that I don't want to endure Jesus. I want to enjoy Jesus. And then I started loving life. And and it's not like, okay, life, you don't have any more problems. I have a whole lot of problems. But there's this verse of Scripture in Ephesians 2.10, and it says this. Check it out. We don't have a lot of time. It says this. We are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus under good works that he foreordained that we should walk in them. And you might be out there going, what is that? That sounds like fluffy foreordained, Fluffy. what is that? you know what workmanship means? you know what the word workmanship means in Ephesians 2.10? check this out, it means work of art you are a work of art turn to the person next to you right now and look at him right in the face I want you to do this, look at him right in the face and say you're a work of art baby, go ahead and tell them <laughs> some, some of y'all being mean man Some of y'all looking at him going, you certainly are. (laughs) Look like a freaky Picasso. Look at (laughs) you. We're a work of art, man. We are uniquely created by God to be on this earth for him. Get this. I want you to get this. Listen. Listen, listen. What's true about you is what God says about you. Lean into this. Listen to this. Your life is a canvas on which God wants to paint a masterpiece of himself on to show the whole world how glorious he is. That's your life, that's my life. That's why you're here, you know why you're here? Because you're in a place of preparation. You know what you're doing while you're here at school? Why the test, why the semesters, why the grueling hours, why? Because listen to me, you're gathering brushes, man. You're gathering colors, young lady, so that you can take those colors and those brushes and lay them at the feet of Jesus and go, oh, Jesus, look, check it out. Here's the brushes. Here's the colors. My life is a canvas. Paint something beautiful that will stun this world for your glory. Now, remember, I gave my life to God, and all my life, my dad said, you'll never amount to anything, and I lived that way. I was imprisoned by that. You'll never amount to nothing. But when I read the word of God, God said, I've got a different thing to say to you. My dad said, I wish I'd have never bought you for $200. You know what my heavenly father said? Tony, your daddy discouraged you by telling you he wished you would have never bought you for 200 bucks. But Tony, I'm your heavenly father now, and I've never regretted purchasing you with the priceless blood of my son. I love you, and I have a purpose for your life. And Tony, if you'll just submit the brushes and you'll just submit the colors, I'll take all the whacked outness of your life, all the messed upness, and I'll paint something cool. So that when people look at it, they won't go, Look at you. Let's give you an award. Look at you. No, when they look at it, it'll be overwhelmingly convincing that the tomb in Jerusalem is empty and the throne in heaven is occupied by my glorious son Jesus. And I'll never forget, man, I had a tough time when I first leaned into this Christian thing going to church because they didn't understand, remember? What's wrong with you? And I remember I didn't have any money, I was so poor. And I, I was living in a van down by the river. <laughs> it really was. A little motivational speaker living in a van down by the river. I was living in this Volkswagen van that had a busted head in it, and it would just spew oil everywhere. And, just, and I was living in that thing, and I didn't have any more money. And I remember I had a couple more bucks, and I went into a Publix, and I pulled out from underneath this, this deli lamp, this little basket of just hard chicken and old french fries, and I just gave the guy three bucks, and I went back to my van. I said, God, I don't understand the institutionalized church. And I was beginning to get very critical. And I'll never forget how God said, listen, I don't want you to be a critic because people are really like that. They're prone to be critics when they need to be contributors. Somebody help me write that book, Moving from Critic to Contributor. And God said, I want you to be a contributor, Tony. And I remember weeping in my van and just going, God, I, I don't get it all, but I just want to tell you. And I bowed my knee before God, and I said, okay, God, here it is. I'm yours. All the brushes, all the colors, I'm yours. And I surrendered to him. And after all my life with just all these major failures and problems, I'll never forget. I just started serving God in the church. Instead of being a crit- critic, I started being a contributor. And I just started going to the nursery, and I served in the nursery with the little dookie diaper babies. Amen. Little bubble boogers come out of their head, they're like, ah, how do you do that? big thing come out of the nose. Goes back in their head. I'm like, You've got a demon. You need a Catholic priest or somebody on this dumbness all over you, baby. I remember I just drove widows and widowers to church in a van. I'd show up at church and just set up chairs, pick up trash, clean the bathrooms. What I'm saying is I didn't ask for this. All I said was, My life is a canvas. Here are the brushes. Here's the paint. You said you've got good works that you foreordained. You've got a to-do list for my life. I'm a work of art for you, God. So whatever you want to do, do it. It's been an amazing journey with God. This is past three years we've been on a, these major tours covering every like major, big, super arena in America. We even came here, we're casting crowns. And and we crisscrossed the country with all of these artists c- casting crowns. and. Jeremy Camp and Stephen Curtis Chapman, and Skillet, and Hawk Nelson, and Mercy Me, and Mandison went with us, and all of these people, and they just call, and they say, would you just come, and would you just kind of do that thing that God's gifted you to do, and just right in the middle of our deal, would you just share the truth of Jesus, and we've seen over 300,000 people give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ in just the last couple of years, to God be the glory, he's an amazing God, absolutely amazing. I'll never forget, I met this baseball player last year of my life, he's a first baseman for St. Louis, and named Albert Pujols, and he says, Woo, yeah, good Cardinals, baby, and I met this guy, I didn't even know who he was, man, I just knew he was an athlete, because he had like this big jacket on that was vascular, how you doing, man, I was like, who are you, you know, and he didn't, I didn't get his name, but he goes, you preach the word, he heard me preach at the cricket arena in St. Louis, and he grabs me, and he goes, come here, man, you preach the word. He grabbed me, did this big fist pump, and I thought, I'm going to die. He squeezed me, man, that was awesome. I'm like, pff, pff, pff. I'm going to see Jesus real quick, you know. I didn't know who he was, you know, and a week later, I got this autographed bat. and it said, to Tony, and the way I said it was, from Albert Pujo. I didn't, know, I didn't even know his name. So I gave it to my kids, I'm like, look, that guy who plays baseball, like I got a bat, here you go. Two weeks later, I come out of Starbucks, and when I come out of Starbucks, I'm looking at the USA Today, because I'm ADDDD, pi squared, so I don't read, I look at pictures, anybody else like that? Yes, you're my friend, I speak your language. And I'm looking at USA Today and there's a picture right there, I'm coming out of Starbucks and there's a picture of Albert Pujols on the cover of USA Today, MVP, Major League Baseball, I'm like. Ah! I call my wife up. I'm like, baby, where's my bat? She said, the kids are in the backyard killing squirrels with it. I'm like, get my bat. Give me my bat. You know? I have a clue who this guy was. And then he calls me up and he says, hey, Tony, I want you to come to Bush Stadium last year. And I don't even keep up with baseball, but he was an MVP. And then the next year, they won the World Series. I didn't even know. And then he calls me up and he says, hey, Tony, I want you to come to St. Louis. And we have the stadium called Bush Stadium. And I want you to preach to all these people that come hear me and come watch me play baseball. He said, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, but my biggest passion is to see people get it about Jesus. And they flew me up there. And Mercy Me did like two songs, and then Albert looked at me and he said, dude, I want you to get out there on that stage thing, and I want you to tell this packed stadium about the King of Glory, man, and tell them how they can get it about God. And I just, I'm, And I remember just being overwhelmed of still being that little kid, And the devil coming after me going, you're worthless. You're just a stinking object of these perverted predators. You're nothing. Who do you think you are that you can go out there and do all this? And I remember just bowing my knees to the king of glory. And I said, God, I didn't ask to be here. But I just want to thank you for this little moment that on the canvas of my life, you are about to brush a stroke that is going to make the devil mad. And make God glad. And this is just so cool. And help me and fill me with your power. And I walked out there and all I did was share a very simple, brief presentation of the gospel. And 3,500 people repented of their sins and placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to the glory of God. It was cool. It's an amazing thing. Here's what I'm saying. Listen, get this. As you are maybe overwhelmed with the stresses, you are absolutely saturated with the messes, and you're hacked off at the (laughs) testes. You're just there, and life can just throw at you all this junk. Man, don't ever forget that everything you go through, God will use it to magnify his name and to glorify himself forever. I'd like to pray for you. Join me in prayer right now. God, each student here is a work of art. As I look around this Vine Center, I see it clearly. And you have amazing things for them to do for your glory and honor. We have this amazing opportunity to rock this world one more time before your return. And God, as I just kind of canvas this room right now, I just sense your spirit, breathing encouragement in the hearts of people. And we thank you for that. What an awesome privilege it's been for me today to join an incredible movement that you've been doing on this mountain for a very, very long time. And I'm just one small part of this big team of people serving you today. And we give you glory, God. And I pray that every person here would just leave here being overwhelmingly convinced that what's true about them is what you say about them. And that they can love you, Lord, and they can love life. Even when all the problems come and all the issues come, because God, you're using it to paint this picture. So that when people look at us, they see that picture. And what they see gives them a little taste of who you are. God, help us to just lay the brushes and the colors at your feet and trust you to paint that masterpiece. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you, guys.